Welcome, welcome, welcome into Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by Students For You. My name is Peter Roman, and over the next hour, I will be going through some of the biggest moments in the world of sports and playing some great music along the way. Today, as far as my music, I'm doing a little bit of a feel-good type of music theme, and so hopefully, I would like to think my songs, my song selection today would all fall under that, but it's kind of going to be a little more of a feel-good music type of day. Sadly, today is my last radio show of the fall semester, and so I do plan on continuing my radio show throughout the winter semester. It's just I don't know when or where that'll be yet as far as timing goes. And so you can keep an eye out on cmru.ca just because the website will have the winter semester schedule eventually. And so you can keep an eye out on the website, but I do plan on being back on the air with my show for the winter semester. But just because it's my last show doesn't mean it has to be sad because I have some fantastic sporting content today. NFL Week 13 recap that I want to do. Let's just say it wasn't too friendly to um, my Philadelphia Eagles, so I'll get into that. I'm also going to talk here in just a minute about the Euro 2020 draw that took place last Saturday. So I'm going to break down every single group. And I have a really special couple of segments that I'm going to be doing on my show today because this will be my last show of 2019. And so I decided that I would go through the top 10, at least in my opinion, biggest sports stories of the 2010s decade. And so you can look forward to that a little bit later in the show. For right now, I'll get started. Like I said, Euro 2020 draw. So... This draw took place on Saturday, and so at least for the most part, we know who's going to be playing one another at Euro 2020 this summer. And so I'm going to break down every single group and go through who won, who should be happy, and who should be unhappy with how the draw ended up shaping out. So I will start in Group A. Group A is the group in which the host cities are Baku and Rome. And so, well, at least for me, this was a massive win for Italy. The group consists of Italy, Switzerland, Turkey, and Wales. I think Italy are should be thrilled with this draw today. It really is a, a favorable draw to the Italians. Because Switzerland, in my eyes, were one of the weaker pot two sides. And Turkey are maybe a little bit stronger in the pot three groups, but certainly not the strongest team ever. And, I mean, Wales, you were going to get a relatively difficult pot four team, but, again, Wales, not the strongest team on the planet. So I think Italy, considering that they have all three of their matches in Rome, so they'll have three home games I think Italy should be extremely happy with their draw so far. And I would expect that they would probably be first place in this group. Second place, though, you know, as much as Italy should be happy with their draw, I don't think anybody else is that disappointed. Now, granted, the travel in this group is difficult. And that's because getting to Baku 
is a little bit difficult. It's not something that's very easily accessible as far as travel is concerned. And so travel will be something that Turkey, Wales, and Switzerland will have to deal with. But as far as the teams they're facing, none of them have home field. And so there's no home advantage. And I would like to think that every single one of those countries is going to fancy themselves to get second place behind Italy. So if you're Switzerland, if you're Turkey, if you're Wales, you like your chances of getting second place in this group. And so just a little bit of a reminder as far as how the group stage works at Euro 2020. It is the top two in every single group that advance to the round of 16 alongside the four best third place finishers. And so I think every single one of these teams has a legitimate chance to get out of the group stage and should be an exciting group A, although I don't think the top spot is... I'm not going to say necessarily that these teams aren't capable of getting first, but I certainly, with the home field advantage, with the talent advantage, I would give Italy a very good chance of winning their group. Moving on to Group B. This is Finland's group. Finland got drawn into Group B. Group B was already like 75% determined, and so the minute Wales got put in Group A, Finland knew exactly who they'd be facing. And so Finland will be joined by Belgium, Russia, and Denmark. This group's host cities are St. Petersburg and Copenhagen. And so at least from a travel perspective, it's certainly one that I think Finns would rather have versus going to Baku and Rome. So Copenhagen and St. Petersburg are a lot closer for the Finnish support to travel this summer. As far as how the group looks, obviously Russia and Denmark get to play home games, although Denmark ended up getting a little bit of fortune in the draw. They will host three games in Copenhagen as Russia will have to go there for that final game in the group stage. So that will be definitely a big advantage to Denmark in their quest to try and get out of this group. Belgium, I think, are undoubtedly the best team in this group. I know travel might not be super ideal for them, but their team, in my eyes, is one of the two big favorites going into this tournament. And so I would expect them to probably get all their points out of this group. Denmark and Russia aren't the strongest teams in the world, but having that home field advantage is very important because you have the home crowd behind you, you know what to expect, and that can give teams a big advantage in these tournaments. And for Russia and Denmark, that will definitely be something that they will hope to take advantage of. For Finland, while, yeah, playing two teams at their home place isn't ideal... But Denmark aren't the strongest team ever. Denmark more or less have a one-player team. Christian Eriksen is a spectacular player, but hasn't been a, hasn't been playing that well for Tottenham this year. Hasn't gotten a ton of playing time. And so that, in addition to the fact that Russia definitely were overachieving and kind of got a lot of fortune at the World Cup in getting to the quarterfinals, I don't think this Russian team is as unbeatable as what they they might appear to be on paper based on the fact that they had a really easy qualifying group and they had a rather fortunate World Cup path that involved a Spanish team that had fired their coach just two days before their tournament and a Egyptian team that had their best player injured. So 
I'm not saying Finland should be favored to get out of this group, but it's not impossible. This is a, I think, realistic opportunity for the Finns to possibly get maybe third place and be one of those third place finishers. Moving on to Group C. Netherlands and Ukraine have to be thrilled with this draw because not only did they get Austria, who in my eyes was one of the weaker pot three teams, but they also got the playoff winner from D. And so this is, I think, the other thing I have to explain because it's still not 100% determined is that there are only 20 of the 24 teams that we know so far that are going to be competing at the European Championships. And so there's four other teams, but they're going to be decided by the playoffs. And so there's four paths. So there's playoff path A, playoff path D, or playoff path D, playoff path B, playoff path C. So there's four playoff paths. Each path has four teams. And of those four, one of them will go to the tournament type of thing. Playoff path D is the weakest, and that's because it's based on the UEFA Nations League. And so playoff path D has, well, at least in my eyes, the strongest side is probably Kosovo. I think Kosovo is probably the team to get out of that, but it is definitely not the, the biggest... Um, let's just say obstacle, because I think they're probably one of the weaker. I think it is the weakest path. So Georgia, Belarus, North Macedonia are the other three teams. But yeah, Ukraine and Netherlands have to be thrilled because they will fancy themselves to beat one another and advance into the round of 16. Meanwhile, it's... Austria is going to fight for third and try and be one of those third-place teams. Ukraine, in my eyes, is the big dark horse for this tournament. They had a fantastic qualifying group. I think they have fantastic team cohesion, and so it will be very exciting to see how that all shapes out in the end. The one big advantage the Netherlands does have over Ukraine in this group has to be home field because Amsterdam is one of the host cities. The other host city in this group is Bucharest in Romania. Romania are playing in the playoffs, and so they're not 100% determined whether or not they'll be in yet. But Netherlands and Ukraine have to be thrilled. They will fancy one another. They will fancy themselves to advance out of this group, and it shapes up very nicely for whoever does in the future rounds of this tournament. Group D. Difficult group for England, who did not get any kind of favors in this draw. They ended up with Croatia and the Czech Republic, as well as playoff path winner C. So playoff path winner C, the teams that will be competing in that playoff path, is you have Scotland, who if they won, they would get home field, because Glasgow is the other host city alongside London. So you have... Scotland with Israel, and then Norway and Serbia are the four teams in this path. Serbia, in my eyes, are probably the strongest team, but with Scotland having the potential of hosting games, I would certainly think they would be the most motivated to win. But regardless, it's going to be a really difficult group for England. Croatia, of course, was the team they lost to at the World Cup semifinal in Russia. 
that granted this Croatian team probably isn't as good as the one that took place at the World Cup just because Croatia have gone through a little bit of they lost some players to retirement and you know some of their other guys maybe aren't as good as they were a year and a half ago this is still a really good Croatian team though that is certainly capable of beating anybody on their day the Czech Republic too I know they have a terrible away record but they did beat England at home in qualifying and so it's not impossible England, I think, are probably the slight favorites to ad- advance out of this group because of the fact they get to play all three of their games in London. But this is a difficult group for them, and so it won't be easy to get out of Group D. Group E. Spain, unbelievably happy. They got Sweden, Poland, and playoff path winner B. And so Sweden were World Cup quarter finalists. And obviously that means that they will certainly be a threat. But Spain did beat them both times in qualifying. And so I think Spain definitely have a bit of a mental advantage over Sweden. Poland are coming off that horrid World Cup. And unfortunately for them, their best player, Robert Lewandowski, has not been great at some of these big tournaments so far. And so with that and the fact that Spain get to host games at home, Bilbao is the host city for this group alongside Dublin. And so playoff path winner B, Bosnia, Republic of Ireland, Scotland, and Northern Ireland are the four teams fighting for that last spot. But I think Spain have to be thrilled with this draw. And finally, the group of death itself, Group F. Because if you were asking what is the absolute nightmare scenario for Germany, it is displayed right on a plate let's just say this was real bad real real bad so not only does Germany have to be in a group with world champion France who in my opinion is the second team that's heavily favored to win this thing but they're also with the holders and defending European champions Portugal And if that wasn't enough, playoff path winner A is here. And so playoff path winner A, it would be one of Iceland, Bulgaria, or Hungary because Budapest is the other host city alongside Munich in this group. I mean, yeah, it is a nightmare, disaster draw for Germany because France and Portugal, I think, are better teams right now. This German team, granted, is not the same team that got bounced super early at the World Cup in 2018. But this German team is very untested, and I don't really know what to make of them as of yet. France, meanwhile, are pretty much bringing the same team that won the World Cup to this tournament. Portugal, despite winning the thing four years ago, are actually better now than they were at the time. And they have that experience and championship mentality that are always important in big tournaments and getting results. So overall, when I look at the draw, I think Germany is the biggest loser, undoubtedly. Although, granted, it's not a good draw for France or Portugal either. I think England are in a bad spot with their draw. I think they got handed a pretty difficult path. Netherlands and Ukraine are the biggest winners to me, undoubtedly. And then I think Italy is another big winner, and Spain is a big winner from the draw. For the rest of them, it's not that the draws are necessarily bad, but there's nothing over the top type of thing. And so that is it. That's all I got for 
recapping the Euro 2020 draw. Coming up in my next segment, I will do my NFL Week 13 recap. For right now, just the one song in my music break, and it's Coldplay and Clocks. Find something you recognize on cmru.ca. Five students for you.
CMRU by students for you. Welcome back to Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by students for you. I'm on to my second segment of the day, recapping NFL Week 13. And there's no more avoiding it. I'll start. Storyline number one, the NFC East is just terrible. The NFC East is a dumpster fire. Yep. Uh, there we go. Okay, I can move on, right? Nope. That's, yep. Okay. I can't avoid it. My Eagles are... Let's just say I was way wrong about this team. At the beginning of the year, I thought this team was going to be one of the better teams in football. I thought the offseason acquisitions would make this team really good. I was wrong. I was flat out wrong, and I'm not afraid to admit that. I way overrated my own team. My team is mediocre at best, and I don't even think we're that right now. It is it's pretty dire. The Eagles lost to the Dolphins. They lost to the Dolphins. Like, I, I don't see how I need to expand on that at all, but it's just... They lost to the Dolphins. Like, how do they lose to the... I'm still a little bit in shock about how they lost to the Dolphins, but, I mean, there's no excuse. Absolutely no excuse. They just sucked. Plain and simple. They sucked. The defense, I mean, I I would much rather just not have them play again type of thing. And Carson Wentz wasn't bad in the game, but you can't lose this game. Like, this is... You can't lose this game. You could not lose this game. Thankfully, well, should I even say that? Because you know what? Honestly, the NFC East should just rescind its playoff spot because none of them deserve it, because Dallas also don't deserve a playoff spot. Although somehow the Cowboys are currently first place, because they are 6-7. and seven. They lost to Chicago yesterday on Thursday Night Football, and the score, lo- the score line flatters the Cowboys because it wasn't actually that close. Dak Prescott and the offense decided to score garbage points to make it look closer than what it was. Dallas is also real bad right now, and there's a ton of calls for their head coach to be fired. And I'm not saying I disagree with them that much. And it's not because Jason Garrett's a bad coach, but it's because when a coach has been with a team for almost 10 years, like Jason Garrett has, and they have very little playoff success, zero Super Bowl appearances, zero Super Bowl wins... I mean, at some point, the coach, you are responsible for that because it's not like he hasn't been given money and 10, like, he's been there for almost 10 years. Coaches would, like, love to have that amount of time to be able to implement their system and have their own coaching staff and all of that. Jason Garrett just hasn't been able to do that. And so you have a division where the two best teams are just really bad because Philly and Dallas can't seem to win at all right now at this point and then the other two teams in the division you have the two win New York Giants who my Eagles play this week who I'm a little scared of because normally Philly tends to beat the Giants especially over the last 10 years it's been very Eagles dominated as far as the head-to-head matchups but 
They lost to the Dolphins. I can't trust my team. And then the other team is Washington, who technically have a less than 1% chance of still winning this division, because they have, and this is true, they have three wins. <laughs> Think about that. Washington has three wins. They're three and nine. They could still technically win the division. If that doesn't tell you how bad the division is, then I don't know what will. So, anyway, I'm going to move on because, yeah, my team's just terrible. Storyline number two. The NFC West is going to be real fun down the stretch. So, San Francisco lost a really close game with Baltimore away from home. I don't think there's any shame in that. It was a three-point game. Justin Tucker had to hit a game-winning field goal in order for the Ravens to win this thing. And Baltimore's a really good team. And San Francisco doing what they did on the road, I think it was pretty obvious that you know they were pretty evenly matched. And on a neutral venue, who knows type of thing. Seattle, meanwhile, were able to edge out Minnesota. Minnesota made it really close and a little uncomfortable. But Russell Wilson, I mean, he's still, for me, the MVP of this season. Although Lamar Jackson certainly should not be discounted in that conversation. These two teams are both 10-2 right now. Seattle currently holds tiebreaker on them because they won the head-to-head game, but they do play one more time this season. Seattle and San Francisco are on a collision course for Week 17 when they play each other one last time, and that game could very well decide who ends up being the number one seed in the NFC, so I cannot wait for their rematch in this regular season. Unfortunately, because of the way the playoffs work, whoever lost that game would have to go on the road to play whatever garbage comes out of the NFC East. So, we'll see. Storyline number three. Cleveland are on the brink. The Browns needed a win. They didn't get it. And Pittsburgh got a massive 20-13 win. Baker Mayfield, again, just... He needs to find a way to get better because his performances this season have not been very good. Pittsburgh's defense, full credit to them for playing a great game, though. And Pittsburgh now find themselves in a battle with Tennessee, of all teams, for the sixth and final wildcard spot. And storyline number four. I hate the Jets. I hate the Jets. And in fact, unless you're, even if you're a Jets fan, I should, I should preface this, even if you're a Jets fan, you should hate the Jets. They have not only ruined Miami's attempt to go, undef- to go winless, but they have also ruined Cincinnati's attempt to go winless. Because against the Cincinnati Bengals, the New York Jets scored six points. Six points against the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, Sam Darnold must be the worst quarterback in football. He legitimately must be the worst QB in football. Because he scored six points against the Bengals. Six points. I hate the Jets. Because Cincinnati and Miami, I had this perfect vision of them both being 0-14 and then playing each other in Week 15 and tying only to both finish the season winless. And that can no longer happen. Because the Jets ruined not one, but two perfect seasons. Hate the Jets. Anyway, that's it. That's all I got for NFL Week 13. Coming up in my next two segments, I have a really fun, exciting thing that I want to go through, and that is 
now that the 2010 decade is coming to an end, I'm going to go through the top 10 biggest sports stories of the 2010s. So definitely something to look forward to. My next song in my music break is One Republic and Good Life. You're listening to CMRU.ca, by students, for you. I woke up with my feet up, see that outfit, 30,000 feet up, what you know? And you know how I link up, get my homie up, told him what's up with the beach up. I remember back when I was living in a freezer, had to keep my hustle up so I could keep the heat up. Now I got my cheese up, school with it, smiling when they see us. How you like me now, I'm even better when I re-up. Woke up in London yesterday, found myself in the city near Piccadilly, don't really know how I got here. I got some pictures on my phone, new names and numbers that I don't know. Address to places like I be.
complain about. CMRU Radio, radio showcasing Mount Royal's own broadcasting talent. Over 40 unique and weekly shows. Find us at cmru.ca. By students, for you. Welcome back to Moments of Genius here on cmru.ca by students for you. I'm on to my last two segments of the day, and that is, I'm very excited about these. So with this being my last radio show of the fall semester, I decided that, and also my last show of 2019, I thought I would go through, now that the decade has come to a close, Looking back at the 2010s decade, the top 10 best sports stories. Now, there's a few things I want to preface. The first thing is just my opinion. This is how I view them. It's not, if I admit something, it's not on purpose. It's just I wanted to give these 10 stories some, like, credit for how, like, influential or impactful they are in some way. And then... The second thing I want to say is that these are going to be mostly feel-good, like, inspirational, important, impactful stories. I'm not putting a lot of the sad, depressing stuff that's happened over this past decade. So, no Aaron Hernandez stuff, no Ray Rice stuff. I'm not, I'm omitting those those stories because I would just rather not talk about them. I want to focus on the good of sports and not necessarily the dark side of sports to some degree. So with that out of the way, I will get started. So these are numbers 10 through 6. So starting number 10, Pacquiao versus Mayweather. So for those who might not know, this was at least probably in most people's eyes, the most hyped up boxing match ever. And it broke a ton of records. So it ended up making about $410 million U.S. in revenue, making it the highest-grossing pay-per-view in history. And, I mean, the amount of people who watched this fight was just insane. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't think it lived up to the hype as far as the actual fight itself, and that has to do with the fact that Mayweather played very defensively in this fight and didn't really go after it a lot. But certainly, I mean, despite the fact the fight may have not been as exciting as what people were hoping for, this was such a huge event in the world of boxing, broke a whole ton of records, and I still think is very important, and so it's my number 10 sports story. My number nine story, the Chicago Cubs. I normally don't talk about baseball on my show that much, and that's just because I don't really watch baseball that much. But the Chicago Cubs are a really cool story. It was just the only thing about this story, I wish they would have won it a year earlier. Because if they would have won the year earlier, it would have been perfectly in line with the prediction from Back to the Future, which is the movie Back to the Future 2. They go to the future in 2015, and the Chicago Cubs won the World Series in that movie. And so they were a year late, but, I mean, it's still a fantastic story. And it's just the Chicago Cubs won their first World Series In 108 years. Think about that. 108 years. 
and they finally broke it in 2016 by winning the championship. And so that makes the Chicago Cubs story my number nine sports story of the decade. Sports story number eight. The Toronto Raptors are Canada's first basketball champion. So this happened obviously this year. The Raptors winning the NBA title for the first time ever in their history. I mean, it was really, if you're talking about sporting moments, like, there's so many from this Raptors run. And I think none are bigger, though, than Kawhi Leonard's game-winning shot in Game 7 against the Philadelphia 76ers, where unlike Vince Carter before him, Kawhi Leonard hit the shot. It just happened to bounce on the rim four times. And so the Raptors beat the Golden State Warriors in the NBA Finals in six games and became Canada's first ever basketball champion. And so they got to hang their banner in the arena this year. They also got their championship rings, which, by the way, they look really cool, but they look really heavy, too, because they're pretty big if you haven't seen the Raptors championship rings yet. But certainly a fantastic sports story, and it is my number eight story of the decade. My number seven story, Bianca Andreescu. So she won the U.S. Open this year, becoming the first Canadian to ever win a singles Grand Slam tournament. And not only is she just unbelievably inspirational and has changed tennis forever, she beat... The probably the greatest women's player of all time, Serena Williams, in the Grand Slam final to win the U.S. Open. And it's just, it's truly something miraculous, inspirational, all of that in her story. Andrescu has, like I said, forever changed tennis in this country. And so she is my number seven story of the decade. My number six story of the decade, the Vegas Golden Knights. So Vegas are the brand new expansion team in the NHL. They've only been around. This is now their third season in existence. And in their very first season in existence, despite having a team of nothing but castaways from other teams and mostly third liners, plus Marc-Andre Fleury, they went all the way to the Stanley Cup final. They beat the Kings in the first round, they beat the Sharks in the second round, and the Jets in the third round to go to the Stanley Cup Final. And if it weren't for Alex Ovechkin, who, by the way, is another fantastic story of the decade, but Vegas being an expansion team in their very first year of existence and going all the way to the Stanley Cup Final, it was really something truly special. Vegas... Nobody gave them a chance at the beginning of the season. Everyone was just picking them to be in the lottery, and they went and surpassed every expectation imaginable. And so the Vegas Golden Knights are my number six story of the decade. Coming up in my next segment, I will look at the top five sports stories of the decade, in my opinion. For right now... My next song, I have Swedish House Mafia and Don't You Worry Child. Listen to CMRU.ca by students for you. 
There was a time I used to look into my father's eyes in a happy home. I was a king. I had a golden throne. Those days are gone. Now the memories on the wall. I hear the songs from the places where I was born. Upon that hill across the blue lake, that's where I had my first heartbreak. I still remember how it all changed. My father said. I never lose her out of sight. We were so young. I think of her now and then. I still hear the songs reminding me of a friend. Upon that hill across the blue lake, that's where I had my first heartbreak. I still remember how it all changed. My father said, "Don't you worry, don't you worry, child. See, heaven's got a plan for you. Don't you worry."
CMRU by students for you. Welcome back to Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by students for you. I'm on to my final segment of the day, my final segment of the fall semester. Like I said, I will be back on the air during the winter semester. Just keep an eye out on CMRU.ca for the schedule when that comes out because I'm not entirely sure what I'm going to be doing with my show, at least not right now, but I will know for sure. I'll, I'll know for sure in a, in a little while, but definitely keep an eye out on the website for the schedule for all the new shows that will be coming back for the winter semester. So, I'm doing my top, my best sports stories of the decade, of the 2010s decade. And so, so far, number 10 was Mayweather versus Pacquiao, the boxing match. Number 9 was the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series. Number 8 was the Toronto Raptors winning the World Championship. Number 7 was Bianca Andreescu winning the U.S. Open. And number 6 was the Vegas Golden Knights going to the Stanley Cup Final. So, my top five. Again, just my opinion. And ultimately, again, I'm going for more feel-good stories. The first one here, number five, maybe not the most, but number five, Colin Kaepernick. So, Colin Kaepernick, it isn't for something he did on the field. It's for stuff he did off the field. And so, Colin Kaepernick... I mean, on the field, he did make a Super Bowl and, you know, played pretty well over the decade, at least for the time he got to play. But when he decided to take a knee for the national anthem in protest of police brutality, he really, I think, started to inspire a lot of people. And granted, he gets a lot of hate for that. I think a lot of it's unjustified because he's not... Like, I think people get his message wrong because Kaepernick's not protesting against the military or something like that. He is protesting against police brutality against African-Americans that happens in the United States. And so Kaepernick, by doing what he's been doing, by donating money, by being a real outspoken voice for better equality in the United States, by taking a knee, I think... Even though it wasn't really something he did on the field, I think Colin Kaepernick for that, I think, is my number five story. Because he really did inspire others, and he's trying to make the world a better place. My number four story, sports story of the decade, Usain Bolt's triple-triple. So, Usain Bolt, granted... He didn't do everything in his career in this decade. Of course, he won in the 08 Olympics and set his world records in 2009. But 2012, another clean sweep for him, including that Olympic relay record that he was a part of, which, you know, I think is pretty unbeatable, to be honest. They ran 36.84, which is just nuts. But that, in addition to... The 2016 games where he once again won the 100, the 200, and the 4x100-meter relay. Usain Bolt completed what he called the triple-triple, which is he won all three of those events, the 100, the 200, and the 4x1, 
in 2008, in 2012, and in 2016. And so he became the first sprinter to ever do that, period. It was to win all three of those events in three straight Olympics. Now, sadly, since that win, he actually lost one of his gold medals. He lost the relay medal from 2008 because one of the members of the Jamaican relay team tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs. But that still doesn't take away from the fact that Bolt himself was just unbelievably spectacular. And so Usain Bolt showing everybody what dominance looks like is my number four story. My number three story of the decade, Japan winning the 2011 Women's World Cup. And I know on the surface this might not look like the best story ever, but when you dive a little deeper, it really is. So Japan had just been through a horrible, horrible tragedy with the earthquake and tsunamis that devastated the country. And so it was a really, a really dark time in Japan. But the 2011 Japanese women's team playing against all the history and playing with all of the, with all the, um, I guess, in a word, the unfortunate stuff they had at home they went out and won the Women's World Cup. And they did it by beating the United States, who have been the superpower. And they, 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 won in, they won in a shootout, but it was just... It's such an inspirational moment that they were able to do that. And they, they had to come back. Alex Morgan scored in regular time. Miyama had to equalize. Abby Wambach scored in extra time, and it was Homari Sawa who equalized in the 117th minute to send it to penalties. And then Kumagai scored the game-winning penalty kick. And that, at least for a moment, gave Japan something to hang their head up high for. It gave them something to be happy. It gave them something to hope. And that's why Japan's my number three story. My number two story of the decade, Elliot Kipchoge. Elliot Kipchoge is the greatest marathon runner of all time, and there's no, no way of denying that. He, earlier this decade, tried to break the two-hour marathon barrier. This was a project with Nike. And he came oh so close, running two hours and 25 seconds. He would later, because that race didn't technically count as an official world record, which I think is kind of silly, but he would later go on to break the actual marathon record and running his two hours and one minute time. But then, later th- earlier this year, in Vienna, Elliot Kipchoge did something that was considered impossible. He broke the two-hour marathon barrier, running one hour, 59 minutes, and 40 seconds. Elliot Kipchoge is truly an example of what human dominance, human ability, human mental strength can do. 
and he broke something that a lot of people thought was not breakable. And finally, number one, and I know that it's hard to top all of these, but it's Leicester City. Leicester City, in my opinion, is not only the best sports story of the 2010s decade, I think it's probably the best sports story of all time. So just for a little bit of reference, some of the greatest underdog stories of all time. We have the Miracle on Ice. The odds of that happening, 1,000 to 1. Buster Douglas beating Mike Tyson, those are 42 to 1 odds. And even for a little bit of context, my country of Finland that qualified for the first time ever to Euro 2020, their odds to win the tournament are 500 to 1. They're not close to Leicester. Leicester City's odds to win the Premier League were 5,000 to 1. 5,000 to 1. Think about that. That is just insane. 5,000 to 1. Nobody thought this would happen. Leicester was a team that the year before got almost relegated. They were last place for most of the year. And then they barely survived. And then they fired their coach. And brought in Claudio Ranieri, who had just been fired from Greece. Nobody gave them a chance. Their best players, Jamie Vardy, their leading goal scorer, was a factory worker five years ago. Riyad Mahrez was bought for £400,000. In fact, there were players in the world of football that cost more than the entire Leicester team. And there's no salary cap. There's no draft. They have to go up against these massive budgets of Manchester United and Manchester City and Chelsea and Arsenal. But they did it. And Leicester, not for a month, not for a week, not for a game, but from August to May, were the best team in England and won the Premier League. A true miracle in sports. And Leicester, I think, are an example of how, you know what? Anything is possible. Leicester City are an example of us as humans being capable of anything and there's really no limits that we can set on ourselves because Leicester should have never happened but they are a miracle in reminding us why sports are fantastic that's it that's all I got for you today I want to leave on one final song it's Liam Payne and all I want for Christmas I want to wish everybody a happy Christmas, and a wonderful new year, and I will see everybody in 2020. Tell me where did we go wrong? We should be singing Christmas songs Instead of shouting all night long Like we do we keep fighting in the street When we should be home wrapped in the sheets Putting presents underneath the tree Me and you I know we had our fair share Of breaking up and making up I promise you we'll get there So don't give up, no If we can make it through December If we can make
Thank you. 